Just before we get started though, want to apologize for the audio quality in this episode. We're having a little bit of trouble with our microphones, but it's definitely worth you listening to anyway. There is some really good discussion in this episode. Really hope you enjoy. We're back! His microphone works, I'm not dying, and I finally worked out I don't need to tell you the date. Either way, this is the sixth episode of the FBR cast. Sunlight will betray you. From shade to shade Stay low Keep your head down In this dried up riverbed Welcome to the FBR cast The official podcast for fantasybookreview.co.uk My name is Josh And my name is Ryan And it's time to look at all that has happened in the world of fantasy for the past, yeah, I'm sorry, we've been away. His microphone stopped working, I was dying, and then we ran out of time, and we're back though, and so we're going to jump through the news for the past however long we've been gone, and there hasn't been a lot, there has been a bit, but before we get to the news, Ryan, what are you drinking? We may have run out of time, but I have not managed to run out of alcohol, and, um, this week, it's bourbon and apple juice. Now, sounds like a really weird combination, but trust me, it works. It's delicious. Okay, but I'd just like to... um, Maybe this is going behind the scenes a bit here, but the last time we wrote this script and we're preparing to record, it um, <laughs> I want to try and remember what it said. Let, let's see if I can do this properly. It says something like, Oh, no, never again, ever. Yeah, is that, is that correct? Yeah, it may have said something like that. I may yeah. have been reasonably hungover last time we were preparing to record. How's that willpower going for you? Yeah, it's gone great guns. Awesome. I'm drinking Melbourne Breakfast. It's a tea um, sold from T2, or at least that's where I got it. And I'm drinking it in my lovely, well, from my lovely new teapot, which um, because. I don't have a tea cosy of my own. I grabbed a beanie and I cut two holes in it and I made a tea cosy out of a beanie. Um, you'd be surprised. It actually really works. I, I have some scotch for your tea if you want to man up. I'll, I'll be fine. Also, <laughs> the postage would be exorbitant. <laughs> Let's get into the news, though. And probably the oldest news we've got here. Um, the Hugo Awards were announced. All right, I we've been talking about the Hugo Awards for the last couple of podcasts, um, or at least award season in the book world, where we've had a look at all the nominations and we've speculated about who'd win who and what'd win what, and um, the the best novel was between, among others, by Joe Walton, The Dance with Dragons by George Martin. Deadline by Mira Grant, Embassy Town by Chana Mieville, and Leviathan Wakes by James S.A. Corey. Take a guess who won. I think we... Well, we said out of the five nominees, it was between four. I think we discounted Leviathan Wakes right from the start, but I think I was fairly strong in my opinion that, among others, by Joe Walton would win, and as she's done with most of the awards this season... um, yeah, she took it out with uh, the Hugo for Best Novel. Now, she's already won the 2012 Nebula Award for Best Novel. That's one place we've heard her name. Another is she's nominated along with 
uh, Dance with Dragons at least I, I know that name's there for the World Fantasy Awards for Best Novel um, I think it's finally time that I just get myself a copy of um, this book and read it because apparently people like it yeah and um, these are some pretty prestigious awards that she's winning and um, I know we had among others on our book club a couple of months ago and I never got around to reading it then as well um, it's sitting there on my bookshelf mocking me like yeah. a whole bunch of other books and um, my copy is, is sitting on my iPad Kindle mocking me as well <laughs> I'm going to get to it one day. I swear, Joe, I promise. Yeah, um, I I think that you could pick any novel from the list and be pretty pleased with the book that you get. A Dance with Dragons is obviously one of the most anticipated books and probably not the best Song of Ice and Fire book, but still right up there. Um, when you compare it to all other books in the genre, uh, Deadline, the the zombie apocalypse blogger story, which is um, you know, Mira Grant cleaned up uh, the Hugo's last couple of years with the first two um, zombie apocalypse books. So it's good to see that she didn't quite get over the line this time. <laughs> you can't That's be you can't be a, you can't be a hog, surely. You got to share the awards around, surely, and. Probably, I think China Mieville is going to have to get used to being in the running, but never winning. Because I don't think he's ever going to be able to walk away with that popularity, with that perfect um, vote to win. Now he he cleaned up uh, with the city and the city. Like he How won, long ago was that? That was three years ago. Oh well. If memory memory serves me, he like he won every single award. Uh, Hugo, Nebula, Locus. And a whole bunch of others. Uh, it was a it was a combined victory for the Hugo, though equal votes. All right, yeah. Um, well, there's a whole I bunch. Of, I was gonna say there's a whole bunch of other uh, books on this list. Uh, best novella uh, went to The Man Who Bridged the Mist by Keege Johnson. Uh, notable nominees in that were Countdown by Mira Grant and Kiss Me Twice by. Mary Robinette Cowell. I really thought Kiss Me Twice was going to win that. Um, I I haven't read The Man Who Bridged the Mist, but yeah, obviously it must have been good enough to win a Hugo. Um, mm. Well, look, there's a lot of there were a lot of a lot of awards given out. Game of Thrones season one won for best dramatic presentation, long form, and and um, Neil Gaiman's Doctor Who episode won for dr- Best Dramatic Presentation short form. Yeah, now that that's probably one that I disagree with. Um, the doc with the Doctor's wife. Um, it was a really good episode, but I feel like he won the award because he's Neil Gaiman. Uh, I, a I good man. A good. Yeah, a good man goes to war by Stephen Moffat was, in my opinion the best episode of Doctor Who last season and um yeah you'd probably you'd probably look at um community remedial chaos theory that'd almost have to have pipped Doctor Who at the post for once in its um life uh, and like I don't watch either shows Doctor Who or community but there is a a certain 
um, argument to be made for the fact that to be even nominated community obviously had to have come a long way community is not a fantasy show so they've obviously done something extra special you would have thought that that might have actually brought them over the top of a Doctor Who episode but well community is a um, bit of a geek culture pop culture sort of show and this this isn't Hugo's aren't just fantasy they're uh, they're sci-fi and fantasy so that's a fair point yeah and yeah I think you just have to watch community and understand why to understand why it's one of the funniest shows on TV at the moment and the um, best fan cast okay not, not now, us now, now I'm just <laughs> cribbing for next year's nominations but the, the SF Squeakast by a group of people who do a show that I've never heard of, but I'm sure it's wonderful. Have you heard of the Squeakast? I have, and... Um, have you listened to the Squeakast? I haven't. <laughs> I, okay. I look at the names who are on there, and you've got Lynn M. Thomas, you've got uh, Shauna Maguire, who is better known as Mira Grant, the um, writer of the... Um, oh, right, yeah, the, yep, the zombie yep. books that we were just talking about before. Um, Paul Cornell, Paul, I know that name. Paul Cornell, he's um, got a whole bunch of books that are due out from Angry Robot, I think. Um, Elizabeth Bear, she's a multiple Hugo winner. And um, Catherine Valent, I know the name, and I know I should know more of her credentials, but uh, it's just skipping my mind at the moment. The one name on that list I know is the SF Signal podcast. SF Signal is a, a good podcast, def, def, definitely worth a listen after you've listened to ours. <laughs> yeah, uh, the only other notable award, or I won't say the only other notable, the one one of the other notable awards is the John Campbell the John Campbell Award for Best New Writer, and you're only eligible for this for two years from your first. Um, published novel and I look at the list and I see Mer Lafferty on there and Stina Leach as probably the only two people on there that I at least recognise um, have you have you heard of the winner um, E. E. Lily U no yeah no but I, I I rarely hear of any best new writers the only reason I've heard of Lafferty is because of you <laughs> Yeah, she's she's obviously um, from the from a bunch of writing podcasts on on how to write, and she uh, it was her heaven heaven books that she broadcast as um, podio books. Every chapter she did as a podcast episode. Um, there you go. So she she gained a lot of popularity from that. Yeah, and that will do it. it- if you're talented and can use social media and the internet, then you're going to do well for yourself. Yeah. So, um, congratulations to all of the Hugo winners from a couple of weeks ago. Everybody, yes. <laughs> and we look forward now to the World Fantasy Convention coming up at some point in the future because the date has left me November, I think. Weekend, yes. the, the beginning of November. Now, another piece of news that took place a few weeks ago... Um, and many of you may be aware, some of you may not be aware, that Dragon Con took place over a weekend a few weeks ago in America. It is definitely one of the most beloved cons over there. Not necessarily the biggest, but um, beloved for the fact that it is actually still a little bit smaller, still a little bit more specialised, still focused on the the fantasy, the, the fun pop culture stuff, rather than the big 
media conglomerates coming in and taking over like they have at Comic Con at San Diego. I'm definitely and planning on going next year. That's um. Oh, that's because you'll be over there. That's because Guess I'll be. I'll over be visiting there. next year, everybody. <laughs> um, now the news we want to take out from Dragon Con, there was a lot, and it's all out there if you want to go looking for it. But the Hobbit was the big news from the convention because not only did it get a third movie, Peter Jackson announced that there would be three, and he he gave us the names for them and the um and when they released. But there was also a little um. A whole heap of snippets of news that came out. Um, now, first of all, the um, second and third movie. First one um, is um, called what the heck's it called? An unexpected journey. Thank you. My yes. gosh, that just jumped straight out of my head. <laughs> the second one is called The Desolation of Smog. Um, that's going to be released on December the thirteenth, twenty thirteen. Um, of course, we're getting the first one later this year. And then only seven months after the second one will be uh, The Hobbit There and Back Again on July 18th, 2014. And it's good news um, that they're not going to keep spreading them out with a year in between like they did with The Lord, with the Lord of the Rings. It'll, it'll help maybe keep the fandom um, centralised a little bit. Um, by the time that the third movie rolls around, we'll probably be... Um, few months after the DVD release, so probably good timing for Peter Jackson and his production crew, but there was a lot of news. We'll provide a link to the full list over at tour.com of these snippets of news that um, that were revealed at the various panels in the, in the Hobbit track um, at Dragon Con, but there's a few I wanted to bring out because they just really excite me. And Can I start? Can I start? I want to I want to say um Sylvester McCoy as Radagast the Brown. Um it's it's still a rumor but that would be awesome. Uh for those who don't know about Sylvester McCoy, he was one of the most recent doctors um from the Doctor Who franchise, so yeah, he would be an awesome Radagast. And speaking of Radagast, is the um <laughs> One of the first times you see him, it looks like, is that he's going to be riding through Mirkwood on a sleigh drawn by huge jackrabbits. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, there, you, there's nothing else you can say about that. We've got Stephen Fry going to make an appearance. Um, Elijah Wood is going to be back as Frodo. Um, and Ian Holm as well. Ian so, Holm um, as well. The, the, the belief is that because uh, both um, Frodo and Bilbo will be in all three movies, they're going to be bookending all three movies with a bit of a narration thing going on. Um, it actually appears um, that Stephen Fry, like he, he's going to be the master of Lake Town, and apparently he's a real nasty piece of work, as is his uh, conniving sidekick Alfred, who is played by actor Ryan Gage. Um, yeah, pr- principal photography r- wrapped up um, on July of this year, actually, um, and there was some additional filming t- taking place in August. Um, which is very much in uh, Jackson's style. Um, the moment he, he starts doing more than one movie, he'll often do all the filming at once and then um, split it up later. Um, the the editors, the the, pe- the people who were um, passing on this information made it clear that the, um, the movies focus on the journeys of three different characters. It's not just going to be a Bilbo movie. It's going to be Bilbo, Thorin Oakenshield, and Gandalf. Um, and Thorin is actually going to be portrayed as a main character himself, not just as a supporting character to Bilbo's journey. Um, well, so, well, what that 
says to me making Gandalf a main character um, inverted commas there uh, that sort of tells me that we're going to get a bit of uh, ad-libbing from from Peter Jackson here we're going to no be there. we're going to be going in and having a look at his, at the at the fight with um, uh, the necromancer with the necromancer yeah, and it's actually believed that Radagast will probably be the link there. Um, that makes sense. Tying the Necromancer story and Gandalf to back to the Hobbits. Um, more Necromancer news. Um, Benedict Cumberbatch is in um, the cast list for all three films as the Necromancer, but he's only credited as the voice of Smog in the second film, The Desolation of Smog. So by the looks of things, we're only going to be getting one film with a dragon in it. What do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, my my memories of The Hobbit is Bilbo versus the dragon. Um, that That is essential to the story, but if the if it's only the middle film with the dragon, I think I'm okay with that. Um, yeah, it's... I feel like an unexpected journey is going to be almost a mirror image of the Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah, if, yeah I've got if, the same idea, actually. Yeah, it is. We go to Hobbiton, and Gandalf comes in and goes, I've got a quest. And Bilbo goes, oh, really? Why me? Can you promise I can come back? And then, all of a sudden, his little hobbit hole is swarmed by dwarves, and off he goes on an adventure. Mm. And, and then cut movie one when they get to a another I don't know I'm hoping they'll be in a cavern and having Gandalf going you shall not pass again <laughs> <laughs> well it actually appears that um, there is spe- there's speculation here that Unexpected Journey will actually finish with um, the defeat of the Great Goblin in the caves that would be good um, and they'll meet up with Gandalf on the other side that will mean that Bilbo will have spent some time with Gollum and escaped from Gollum oh yeah um <laughs> It's all speculation at the moment. It's a good place to leave it. Um, you got to wonder, though, um, do they stop it when they're cornered by orcs and goblins and flame, or do they stop it when the eagles save them, or where are they going to stop it? Um, I think, as you mentioned earlier, um, Peter Jackson's going to be doing some ad-libbing. We all know my opinion on that, <laughs> but I've just got to put that aside for the moment um, and focus on these as movies. And I'm actually really looking forward to the movies that we get. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing the um, the fight um, between the White Council and Necromancer because there is a little bit of um, story told about that in the appendices of, Lo- of Lord of the Rings and probably throughout the histories of Middle-earth. Um, it's just a case of how much ad-libbing is done to um, make it seem popular and, and entertaining and how much is actually left to actually stay true to the original story yeah. alright now let's let's look about I don't know three years into the future uh, the Hobbit films have been a raging success and people are crying out for more do you, oh, no. do you see um, do you see Peter Jackson being able to acquire the rights to the Simorillion no and presenting that as like a HBO miniseries because I think that would be awesome 
I really do not think that that's possible. Not because you're wrong. I the mo- the moment you said HBO miniseries, I'm like, oh hello. Yeah. There's how you do it. It's it's the length of the stories. I think they're they're just too long for a HBO miniseries. Or as, as in like you wouldn't be able to break it out into a 12 I, I don't know it'd be too long for a single episode of a HBO miniseries each story but mm. but uh, too short to be told over a full season unless you were doing like a three episode season or something like that um, and I think it's too short to be done well by a movie it's an interesting. It's it's definitely not movable. Um, yeah. Not that they wouldn't try. Yeah. I I have no respect for Hollywood in that regard. Um, there, I think that the Tolkien estate simply would not give up the rights to the Silmarillion. Um, and the question remains: Could you do a HBO miniseries about it? And I think I so. wonder what people were saying of you know a few years ago about Wheel of uh, not Wheel of Time. Sorry. Um, Song of Ice and Fire, were they saying the same thing? Um, well, American Gods, we talked about last time, is going to be the next HBO miniseries um, after the amazing success of Game of Thrones. Um, and I I think... Yeah, I know there's this whole... this way towards uh, doing really long seasons... Um, I know that HBO being a cable network is not held to the same, you know, 20, 22, 24 episode seasons. So, you know, they can really do these miniseries that are as many episodes as they need to be to tell a story. So, I don't know, if you did like, if you did say, I don't know if you ever watched Torchwood, uh, the Doctor Who adult spin-off. I haven't actually watched that much... Doc, much Doctor yeah. Who at all, let alone the spin-off. Yeah, the the third season of um, Torchwood, they it was five episodes long, and they told it over five consecutive nights, Monday through Friday. Oh, really? And yeah, each one was an hour long, and that was awesome. Huh. And I could see a production team that each year told a Simulrillion story over the space of um, you know three three or four nights and did and it in consecutive n- nights now that you've brought it over to the BBC that's really interesting because I'm fairly certain it's BBC who are doing the Sherlock series with Benedict Cumberbatch and 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 Frode um, and Bilbo whatever his name is yes um, but they're also the ones who do the Terry Pratchett um, movies each year yeah um, two part Pretty much each um, part is a movie length. Um, they do a two-parter each year, I think, or at least every... Every, every couple, couple of years, years. yeah. Um, and you can see that working. And like bringing it back to the HBO series, though, I can easily see them doing, like, um, following Beren and Luthien as they go on their journey, um, meeting one another and then running away with one another and, and the stuff that happens to them as they're caught and... And everything to do with the Silmarils themselves. It's an interesting way, and and in regards to what we saw in the Lord of the Rings, we saw uh, Peter Jackson just take out the Ring story, the Ring and 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 Bilbo's story. Not Bilbo. I'm getting myself all confused now. Frodo's the story. Ring and Frodo yeah. story, 
and just follow that and leave everything else aside. Um, so you could easily see a, a director take out the, the Brennan Lithian story and just follow that and ignore everything else. But look, it's an interesting uh, concept. I'd, ne- I'd never thought of the um, of the Silmarillion being turned into movies because I've read the bloody thing. I know that that's not going to happen, but it's... Um, it's an interesting thought to to work out whether there's something else you can do with that source material. Yeah, it's uh, definitely food for thought. Another another one that might be food for thought and <laughs> a a good segue into our next article is the Wheel of Time, and we all know that a memory of light is finished. Um, they're starting to post spoilers. Oh, not spoilers, uh, little snippets. Um, they've the got prologue a the prologue is, is for pre-order. Prologue is available for pre-order. I don't oh, know how I feel. Bastards. That's exactly how I felt when I heard about that. Um, uh, they already know everybody's going to buy a memory of light. They don't need to put the prologue up for sale as well. The problem is yeah. that they also know that everybody's going to buy the prologue now as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a that's a whole nother podcast though um, yeah that's th- that's next fortnight <laughs> but yeah there's um it's been a long time coming the finale of a wheel of time and i'm not up to date and i'm pretty sure you're not up to date josh oh no so um there's a lot of people in our situation and there's a couple of sites um tor.com obviously as the publisher of the wheel of time series but um the Wurt Zone as well. Um, both these sites have been doing uh, rereads of the Wheel of Time in preparation for a Memory of Light. So, for all those people who, like me, got up to book seven, book eight, and just went, oh. I just went. This is really starting to drag. Uh, this is really, really repetitive and not not enticing me to finish the series at all um these these two sites um yeah they've put up some really thorough examinations of every single book pulling out all of the key points that you need to know to move forward and for those people who need a refresh before moving on with the series or for those people who just want to skip a few books i think this is possibly one of the best ways to do it now, um, I managed to get through book seven. Um, it was a bit of a slog, but I got through it because I thought the next book is surely going to be better. And I got halfway through the next book and realized, am I just reading book seven again? I'm fairly certain I'm just reading book seven again. No, it says book eight. My gosh, he's just published book seven again in book eight form. And I put it down, and that was a good three or four years ago. And I just have not been able to pick it back up again with any desire to... Just slog through the rest of it. So I've been reading the Tor.com Wheel of Time reread. Yeah, that was that was uh, Path of Daggers, wasn't it? Almost carbon copy of Crown of Swords. Yeah, it yeah. was distressing in the way that it was similar, and I'm I, I can't do it. And I, I've w- one of my friends at um, church is really into this series and loves book 10 and 11 and 12 and I'm like damn it I want to get to book 11 10 10, 11 12 
I can't get to them because book eight is in the way. No, I've given up. I don't care what you think of me. I'm reading book eight via Tor.com's reread. Um, it goes through, not necessarily chapter by chapter, but each section might cover one, two, three chapters, depending on the length of chapter and what needs to be taken out, etc., etc. Really well written as well. It's really enjoyable to to get back into the story. And, and that's the thing, is that I want to get back into the story. I really enjoyed these characters. I really enjoyed reading about Rand and Perrin and the female names that you can never pronounce apart from <laughs> Elaine. Um, Egwene, Elaine, Moriane. Um, now, <laughs> the, the Wheel of Time uh, reread on tour is probably for people mainly in my position um, who can't get through that one book. Um, there are people who love the series, reading it again, who just want to discuss and comment and all of that. Um, but for those who just want the refresh, this Wurt Zone thing looks just amazing. And it's done in a really interesting way. Instead of going book by book, um, Adam Whitehead, who's the author over there, is actually giving a chronological in-story um, recounting. Um, and so you've got four entire blog posts before you get to um, the, the events that took place in the first book, because he's dealing with all of the history prior to that moment in that book. So it's, it's a really good way, I imagine, for people who are uh, big fans of the the series, have read up to book 12, I think we're up to, yeah, and just want that refresh or just want to dive back in without having to dedicate 17 months of their life. Yeah. I, get, um, I guess for those people who haven't read any of the Wheel of Time books, one of the things that you'll notice as you get to about probably book four book three book four is that robert jordan told these stories all out of order all over the place um by by out of order i mean that you'll you'll start a book at a point in time and you'll finish a book at a point in time and you'll go down the path of one character for say five, six, seven chapters and then you'll go back to the start of that timeline and follow a different character's path and do that and so your progression from chapters one through sixty I'm think I think it's about sixty chapters per book. Um I about that, yeah. Yeah, you know, you're you're lurching back and forth, back and forth in time and um it gets from what I've been told, it gets very noticeable in the later books where you will you will um, spend the whole time going down a couple of um, plot lines for separate characters, and then the next book will take you back to that point in time at the start of the previous book. So say, the start of um, book eight, The Path of Daggers, you started a specific point of time and you follow Rand's story all the way through to the end book 9 Winter's Heart will start at the same point of time that Path of Daggers started on but you'll then follow Matt's story um, from start to finish so heaven help me to be fair though for those who do want to jump into the series because they've you know needless to say there's a bit of news about it out at the moment people can't stop talking about it 
don't let us put you off. The first five books are sublime. Even the sixth book, really good. And the seventh one, while a bit of a slog, you're not getting to that repetition. And that lurching back and forward thing, while noticeable, you, you still kind of forget about it at times because, oh my gosh, this is really exciting. I'm really interested in what's happening right now. And only when you lurch again do you realise, oh, that's right, back in time again. Um, I, I've started going through the books again in order. Um, I've read Eye of the World, I've read The Great Hunt, and I've read The Dragon Reborn. Uh, one of the things that I noticed reading Eye of the World is that it's not quite as accessible as it used to be. I remember reading it as a 13 or 14 year old and it was the most amazing thing I had ever read and I read it again last year or at the start of this year and it was really good don't get me wrong but it seemed really juvenile now when I look back on it and the problem is we've had authors like Brandon Sanderson and Brent Weeks and all these great names come out since we read those books and lift the lift the genre of fantasy up several notches yeah. and and that's in no way a criticism of the people who came before it is just a fact of life that all of these books that came before you know you've got Robert Jordan you've got Terry Brooks you've got David Gemmell um, David Eddings all of these guys who came before they they set a benchmark and the guys who have come after have analysed that figured out exactly what they were doing wrong and then fixed that for their books so it is this constant evolution of the fantasy genre and when you look back um, 20, 30 years ago it's really noticeable to see what the books used to be like compared to what they are now. The simple fact of the matter is that the authors I mentioned before, Sanderson, Weeks, all of them could not have done as well as they did without the people who came before them. For the same reason that uh, the names that Ryan just mentioned could not have done as well as they did without some of the names that came before them, like Lewis and Le Guin and Tolkien. Howard. For the same reason that yeah. Tolkien could not have done what he did without all of the masses of mythological story and oral tradition that came before him. All you need to do is watch the Olympics. How come they keep breaking that world record? Well, because the new guy came along and studied what the other guys did wrong and did it better. It's a it's an interesting point to to an anal to analyze. Um We've got a blog post on uh, fantasybookreview.co.uk about the top 10 fantasy series, I think we've said, of all time. Um, Probably. And it has got a bunch of comments on it now. Um, I think I've lost track of how many comments are on there. And every time you'll get a new comment come up by someone who's just discovered it and they'll go, I can't believe you've left David Eddings off the list or... I can't believe you've left David Gemmell off the list. And I I posted a comment the other day on there that was a collection of all my thoughts having read for I think it's been it's been live for nearly four years now, this list, and I I read all of the comments and I've I've made a few comments myself over the years on that list and sort of consolidated my thoughts into a 
this is the top 10 fantasy series as we enjoy them right now and there's um, this top 10 of important fantasy series and it wouldn't be restricted to a top 10 it would just keep growing and growing as the names of important fantasy authors continue and that is the difference is that these books may not have aged very well but you cannot discount their importance you know and I went I went right back and started saying well let's have a look at Lewis Carroll let's have a look at um, Howard the guy who wrote Conan I just blanked on his first name I'm such a bad person um, <laughs> I'm not helping. <laughs> Lovecraft, Tolkien, um, yeah, and going going through the ages. Then you've got sort of the children of Tolkien, where you've got well, yeah, that um, yeah, that colloquial children of Tolkien, which is your David Gemmell and your David Eddings and your Raymond E. Feist and your Terry Brooks and all those guys that tapped into everything, everything that Tolkien did to tell these really popular stories that slowly started bringing fantasy into the mainstream and then you got guys like Stephen King who took it in a whole new direction Michael Michael Moorcock who said I've had enough of this Children of Tolkien crap and I'm going to start creating my own fantasy weird characters and yeah, that spawned the whole new weird genre within fantasy and then urban fantasy came along and you got all these important people and then the colloquial grandchildren of Tolkien came along which is your your Sanderson um, your Scott Lynch your Patrick Rothfuss um, Brent Weeks I suppose you would chuck in there as well um, all these guys who are doing really well and then I sort of pushed that on even further and said well what's important right now and I had a look at what's going on now and what's different is seeing all these independent authors who are coming through and making waves because you know back in the day you never used to publish independently it was just a black it suicide it was suicide it was a black mark against your name you'll never make any money at all and now you've got the likes of Amanda Hocking who wrote all those books in that really short period of time, published them all and sold you know, hundreds of thousands of copies, I'm pretty sure it was. Like, she sold a stupid amount of copies at you know, 3 $4 a copy and mm. made a lot of money. Um, then you've got someone, you know, she's now got a massive book deal because of all the copies that she sold. Um, same thing happened with Michael Sullivan when he you know, wrote those six really awesome books and sold a lot of copies just because they were really awesome books. Um, yeah, he's now being put, he's now being picked up by Orbit. Um, I'm thinking of Anthony Ryan now. I don't know if you've heard of Anthony Ryan, but he's just put out the first book in his series called The Blood Song, and it is. I, I've I've read the first couple of chapters and I can see why he's already been picked up by a um, one of the big publishers. You know, he he just writes so well, and all you can think is, how did the publishing process not pick him up and put him, you know, get him out there under a big name publisher? 
Yeah, these, these sort of people are important in pushing the genre forward. The idea of um, most popular or favourite fantasy book against most important is one that's never going to be solved because people often don't take the time to realise the, the distinction. Um, if I were to ask you who's the greatest cricketer of all time, who would you say? Bradman. Who's the greatest... Who's scored the most, however? Who's scored the most? Uh, yeah. Sachin. Tendulkar at the moment. Sachin, Tendulkar, yeah. Yeah, Tendulkar then Ponting. Um, and often people will say, well, Ponting's obviously the best, or Tendulkar's the best. Look how many he's scored. Um, okay, well then let's take it back again. And then I'll go Bradman's Bradman. obviously the most yeah. important. Oh, and Bradman had an average of 94... 99.96. In a time where... You were playing in uncovered pitches and body line was going on and he was... You know, cricket wasn't a full-time profession. You were um, on a boat for however many months sailing over to um, whatever country you had to play in. Um, conditions and the like were atrocious and he was able to maintain an average of 99.96 for that entire period of his cricketing career. During World Wars as well. All right, we're back. We took a break just for a couple of seconds because I'm a statistic nerd and I wanted to pull this out because this is a really fascinating statistic about Bradman. And I know we've gone a little bit cricket on you in this in the middle of this fantasy podcast, but I think the point needs to be made. If for no other reason than Ryan and I are the host and you're not. <laughs> um, <laughs> now Bradman played back in the what the the 40s, the 50s, um, and this is a time when you know, you're not playing as many matches. And Bradman played a total of 52 matches between 1928 and 1948. He scored 6,996 6, runs at an average of 99.94. So I got that statistic wrong. That, I was off by two. That's 99. 2, yeah, that's 99.94 runs accumulated per innings, and you play was, and you play two innings per match. He was one single run off having an average of 100. He went out for a duck on his very last match in front of the Queen, and he went out for a duck. All he needed was a single run. He would have walked away with 100. The point I want to make, however, is that Tendulkar, who's at the top of this list, playing from 89 to 2012, played 190 matches. That's nearly four times as many matches as Bradman played, and he scored 15,533. Now, if we were to do some basic and very horrible math, because I know that this isn't how it works, let's do 52 matches, so that's divide by four. So even though, let's do three. Just look up his average, man. 6996 <laughs> times three equals 20,988 runs if Bradman had played close to the same amount of matches as Tendulkar. Let's bring it back to fantasy. The point is, Bradman is clearly... Now, let's include uh, Garfield Sobers and um, the other uh, West Indian player whose name always escapes me. Um, three of the greatest players ever, playing nowhere near today, nowhere near the top of the list, but still some of the most important. Same with Tolkien, same with, um, with Eddings and uh, Gemmell. Writers who simply, at least with the the, the last two names, I, I'd make a case for Tolkien. Um, Gemmell and 
and Eddings and, and the others simply aren't writing as well because they weren't writing at a time when the um, we hadn't learned as much and they sometimes get pushed down lists because of that um, what you've got to remember however is that these guys pioneered a very um, dismissed genre of writing in a time when it's not necessarily easy to be published to dismiss their importance is insane in the same way that to dismiss Bradman's important to cricket um, or any number of other athletes or people from the past in various uh, fields of endeavour to dismiss their involvement simply because they took it took place yesteryear is is insane and I, I think it's really important that we do make the distinction between most favourite popular yay and most important yes I, I think so too but then in saying that I was listening to a um a podcast by Dan Wells and Robertson Wells. Um, they, they've got this podcast called Do I Dare to Eat a Peach? And the latest one from Wednesday, they went through the NPR Top 100 list from uh, last year, I think it was, and they they made the point that, yeah, Lord of the Rings and Tolkien may be one of the most important books, most important series to fantasy to and and will remain that for all time but the thing that introduces people to fantasy nowadays it it used to be Tolkien but now it's Harry Potter you don't you don't get into fantasy through Lord of the Rings anymore you get in because of Harry Potter I disagree with that primarily because of the movies if we're talking solely about a uh, let's walk into a bookstore and what's the book that is recommended to you sure I'd agree with Harry Potter um, I'd also agree with Twilight. I'd also agree with uh, well, his Dark Materials. I, I would say the movies, even more clear-cut, eight movies for the Harry Potter series, seven books. Um, the thing that's going to get kids into fantasy nowadays is not Lord of the Rings anymore. Um, that'll be a, oh, you've read Harry Potter, now you should read Lord of the Rings. Um, maybe. Um, I know a lot of the younger generation who haven't read Lord of the Rings they've seen the movies and that's enough for them yeah and to make my point clear um, I think you're right actually I think if you want to get kids into fantasy show them Harry Potter if you want to get older people you know young adults maybe teenagers young adults into fantasy Harry Potter will probably be Harry a, um, probably Harry Potter and then followed no, by Lord of the Rings. No, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> ha, ha, Harry Potter will bring them back to uh, a, a a reminiscent time, and Lord of the Rings will make them say, "Oh, look, fantasy can be realistic and gritty and cool too." Yeah, um, I'm biased. Everyone, <laughs> shut up. Game of Thrones. Um, uh. <laughs> oh well, yeah. Like I mean, yeah. What are we talking about? Game of Thrones is how you do it Pro- these days. Progressing from. Harry Potter to Game of Thrones, yeah. Yes, you got... from from children <laughs> at school to nudity, which, as I understand it, is not actually a big difference. Um, no, I, I mean, we've come a long way from this Wheel of Time point, which yes. we started with. Um, and I think it's probably time to wrap up and uh, go read Wheel of Time. If you don't want to, go read the reread. Um, but if you're ever discussing best books... Uh, take a moment to actually think about what 
what you're actually saying. Um, one of the reasons we rate so highly, we were discussing this the other week, month, uh, is we rate on enjoyment, not necessarily technical skill. Um, and a lot of people say, this is the best thing ever based on enjoyment, not necessarily technical skill, which is why people like Twilight. Next topic. The calendar. Yeah. The calendar. Now, we've been away for a few weeks, and stuff has come out. We're not going to mention everything because we've mentioned them 37 times already. But two that we will mention, Blinding Knife by Brent Weeks came out. It's sitting on my shelf. I'm going to probably have to give it to my ex-girlfriend to read because I don't have time. From from all reports, this uh, this blows Black Prism out of the water. And Black Prism is widely regarded as Brent Weeks' best book. So I I am really enjoying this... Uh, I'm really enjoying this upward tr- upward trend in... Uh, Brent Weeks's uh, writing ability. This is um, this is very encouraging for me. Um, having you know, being just about to jump in with, I think it's the Way of Shadows. Yeah, I, I so. like to think it's the Way of Shadows. Ooh. But yeah, um, Blinding Knife. So that's out, getting great reviews. And if you've read Black Prism, go grab Blinding Knife. Now, the other book that is out. My friend here, Ryan, has gone to the store and picked it up. My copy is somewhere in a depot in Dandenong, as I understand it, and it should rock up tomorrow, is Dodger by Terry Pratchett. I don't want to hear it, Ryan. I don't want to hear it. We're just going to move on. I know you have it. You can gloat later. There's a whole section for your gloating later. Sure. Coming out September 18th, which is today, but I told you I wasn't going to do the dates. Stray Souls by Kate Griffin. It's the same world as her Matthew Swift books, but a different main character. I'm really looking forward to this. September 25 is The Mongoliad, book two by Neil Stevenson and other people. Did you... You read Mongoliad, book one? No, I'm sorry. It's still on my shelf. Yeah, it's it's sitting there on my Kindle as well. Um. I don't have time, people. (laughs) I, too much to do. Neil Stevenson is the only name I need to get me to read it. It's just a matter of time. And I want to make it very clear. The and, other authors are no less important. We just don't know who you are. Coming out in October, which is a little bit further away, but I kind of couldn't find other books to mention. So I'm jumping to October because I know people care, is Red Country by Joe Abercrombie. I want to talk about Joe Abercrombie in a couple of seconds. Do you have well, anything to say right now? I I haven't read Joe Abercrombie, and I probably lose a lot of gritty fiction cred because of that. Yes, but that's uh, but, a small segment of the population, so we don't need to worry about them. I hope. Speaking of what we've been reading, because we have twice now in the past couple of seconds, what we've been reading is stuff. And I'll throw out two that, I'm, that I've uh, read. Um, Wolfheart by Richard A. Knack uh, is a World of Warcraft book. And the only note I have here is meh. And I think I'll leave it at that. Um, I'm also currently reading uh, Best C- Served Cold by Joe Abercrombie. Um, I really want to finish this book, but it is bloody depressing. Is that just a symptom of modern fantasy? Because 
there's a lot of really depressing, gritty, dark books that are out there uh, right now. Yeah, it, it probably is. And Joe Abercrombie's at the top of the list because there is no single redeeming quality for anybody in this book. And it is really tough going to work through that. Um, but it's really well written. Will you take that, Joe? I'm sorry. I'll probably read Red Country. What 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 have you been reading, Ryan? Okay, I got I got a good list of books here. Um, I'll probably start off with the ones that I've read, um, and I've got reviews that are about to be posted or have just been posted. The the first one is The Man Who Crossed Worlds by Chris Strange. Um, if you haven't heard of this, I'm not surprised. Uh, Chris is an indie author from New Zealand. Um, I've read one of his books previously that got a I got about a seven, a high six or low seven uh, when I reviewed that. Um, but on onto the man who crossed worlds, this is a huge improvement from him, a massive, massive improvement from him. Um, it's it's set in a I'd say alternate Earth where you can um, travel between dimensions. So there's a dimension that is lovingly called heaven, um, and there's these people who have the ability to create a tunnel between dimensions. And so you can tunnel from Earth to heaven and go and do some really funky things in heaven. This this place that they call heaven has a whole bunch of different physics, a whole bunch of different species that live there, and um, they in turn can tubble, tunnel back to Earth. And there's a there's a nice little um, symbiotism that goes on between the two dimensions. Um, along with that symbiotism comes an underworld so you've got a massive drug trade that's going on um, you've got these tunnelers who are doing lots of dirty work um, sending people back and forth between these two worlds and you've got this war that's just about to start breaking out and um, I suppose you just you just have to read it um, the main character in it, Miles Franco, he is just the epitome of cynicism in a world that has sort of gone really dark and controlled by underworld gangs and everything, and he just wants to be left alone. He's He can tunnel, he's very good at it, but he's just he just wants to live his own life, and he's got the underworld who want to use his talents, he's got the police force who want to use his talents, and... He's sort of torn between loyalties, and I don't, it's a it's a really good book, despite how depressing I've just made it sound. Did you ever get a chance to read um that latest Terry Terry Pratchett Stephen Baxter book um what the heck it was called the Worlds what Parallel Worlds one um, yeah whatever that was called. Earth yeah did you get no, a chance to read that no I didn't get to read that you've you've just described something very similar so. Uh, I'm interested to see what people think who have read both. Yeah. You know, I gave, I gave uh, The Man Who Crossed Worlds a very good 
review and uh, you can check that out on fantasybookreview.co.uk um, the other one that I've read um, I did it all in a Saturday morning because it's a very short book and it is Legion by Brandon Sanderson now Brandon Sanderson is known for his 300,000 400,000 word monstrosities um, The Way of Kings being one of them um, Legion is rather small compared to that I and mean, it's about 60 70 pages worth um, I got through it in a single morning um, and the basic premise of this is a man who has schizophrenia and the the um, hallucinations that he sees the the thing the things that he sees as part of his schizophrenia are other people um, he calls them aspects and these other people are um, sort of an embodiment of his genius that he isn't actually able to express himself so he's able to say read a dummy's guide to um, I don't know Japanese and then he can use his schizophrenia to call upon an aspect who knows Japanese and can act as his translator and this all happens in however long it takes him to flick through the book start to finish so like 15-20 minutes of him just speed reading a book um, and then he's he's just got these army of aspects that are able to handle everything for him so all of his military tactics his interrogation tactics and it, it makes this character uh, Stephen Leeds uh, the main character he's just a he's a man for hire and he solves all the really weird and unsolvable cases and when's the book set? so it's set present day present day in a uh, it's a kind of fantasy setting um, you you have to read it to sort of understand. There's this um, plot that involves a special type of camera that can take pictures of the past. Um, <laughs> Radio. Yeah, and yeah, the the plot's not really that strong in there, but that's only because it's such a short book, and Sanderson focuses all of his energy onto every one of these aspects. So every every time that his main character creates an aspect, who is a um, who is a professional in whatever field he decides the field needs to be um, that person takes on a full personality and is there forever and he and then uh, Stephen Leeds the main character he has to accommodate for that so he has to make sure there's an extra room for them in his mansion he has to book extra seats for them on the flight um, he has to treat them as if they're a real person otherwise um, he goes crazy that's fascinating. This book is sitting over there on my shelf and one of a number of short stories that I actually really want to get to sometime soon. Um, I've been looking forward to this one for a while, actually, since I first heard about it. So um, did did you enjoy it? Like, I mean, have you reviewed this for the site yeah. yet? I've, uh, I've submitted my review and um, it should be going up in the next day or two. But you enjoyed um, it? I enjoyed it very much. Um Awesome. Getting on to books that I've been reading, um, I've got Catcher's, Katia's World by Jonathan L. Howard. Now, this is a young adult 
hard sci-fi book and those two genres rarely go together in my opinion um <laughs> yeah i'm actually surprised to see i, I, was, re, I was i was reading the script and i saw jonathan l howard i'm like hang on a minute i know him he writes the net he writes um johans cabal the necromancer story yes um which i love yeah um and here he is writing something i've never heard of yeah so this is um yeah this is a this is a very oh i'd like to call it hard sf for young adults um it's it's set uh far future on a planet that is entirely ocean but is full of minerals and resources and so uh there was a centuries worth of um not terraforming but sort of building these underwater cities um to take full advantage of the um all the minerals and resources that this planet housed so it's a the entire book is set in a submarine culture and um all the people uh everything's phrased in nautical terms um submariner terms uh and the whole planet the it was um the russians who decided to colonize it and so everything has a russian flavor to it all the culture has a russian flavor to it um and, and then you get into the plot which is all about the um this new planet called rasalka uh, rebelling against Earth and Earth deciding that they've had enough of enough of that and they're going to um, go and destroy Rasalka and take all the resources for themselves. And it says it's a YA novel, but I think anyone would really enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Sounds a little bit like Avatar, the um, the, the James Cameron movie. Yeah, um, except that there's no natives that they're displacing. It's um, just Russians. Just Russians, yeah. Are <laughs> uh, the Russians vodka fueled? Oh, uh, it's a YA book, so not on screen. As I understand <laughs> it, the young adults don't not drink vodka. Yes. <laughs> well, the vodka drinking, if it happens, it doesn't happen on screen. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, the other book I've been, I've just started reading is Dodger by Terry, <laughs> by Terry Pratchett and. This is a... I think it's set in the same world as Nation. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if I've, it was. I've heard it's set in the same world as Nation. Um, it's a... It's Terry Pratchett's take on a Dickens novel is probably the best way I'd describe it. And if you haven't got a copy of it, you should really get a copy of it. Is I've read probably... 50 pages of it so far and yeah it is worth every cent now Terry Pratchett um, for those of you who don't know wrote, writes the Discworld series um, he's also have a, um, taken uh, a break from his main writing and written um, this story uh, it's called Nation it was published a few years ago it's actually a children's book um, I'm not quite sure what children Terry Pratchett interacts with um, they aren't anything like the children I know of um, but all you got to do is look at the Tiffany Aching books to see that Pratchett doesn't write down to people he writes in a way that is going to pull them up 
um, Nation was beautifully written um, and maybe it was written for kids I would not have been able to tell you that um, it was just beautifully written I'm assuming the same thing here um, my copy as I said is somewhere in Dandenong um, hopefully rocking up tomorrow and I'm really stoked for this because after reading Nation I know how good a non-Discworld book by Pratchett can be and at the moment I'll take anything Pratchett I can get my hands on um, before Ryan jumps onto the last thing that he's reading uh, I wanted to make mention of two things that I've, I've read and am reading um, first of all is a, a book called One Second After is a book I heard Brian Brushwood mention on his um, uh, podcast Framerate um, and he, he, the basic premise was a uh, um, world it was an America that had been thrust into a world without electricity and what happens then um, and I thought oh hello that's a book for me um, this isn't a fantasy book um, I've actually taken a little bit of a break from reading fantasy just because I need, a, need some time to breathe and I thought oh okay I'll give this book a read and I went I took my Kindle my, my, my iPad to bed one night fired up Kindle at about 2 o'clock in the morning by the time I'd finished it was I think it was 8.30 in the morning and I'd been crying like a little girl for a good a good 10 minutes because there is a scene in this book there are several scenes in this book which just left me emotionally wrung out um the the the, the premise is this a um an unidentified party has launched and detonated three nuclear bombs in the upper atmosphere above America. There is no radiation fallout, however, there is an EMP, an electromagnetic magnetic pulse, which destroys the electricity on across the, the continent of America, and there's nothing they can do to bring it back. And so what happens when you have no electricity in the 21st century? Well, people die like nobody's business. You thought... Uh, Glenn Cook was gritty. You, you thought that Joe Abercrombie was gritty. Nope. This is the most depressing death toll you'll ever see, from planes falling out of the sky to pacemakers turning off to dialysis machines failing to the simple fact that diabetes type one people can't get their insulin. Everyone dies. Like the the death toll is ridiculous. Now this book, in hindsight is very much a sermon crossed with a history lecture. Um, you kind of get the feel that the author was trying to get across uh, a war scenario that he really believes the um, the higher-ups in the American government need to know about. Um, but on the way to doing this, he's told this story, which is just emotionally brutal. Um, and there's... I don't know if I can recommend it, because while it's a really good book it is really hard to read and there were times when I'm just like I want to put this down I don't want to have to finish this I don't want to have to live the lives that these people are living because it's terrifying um, but if you're able if if you're able to if you're not um, easily hurt by the death of characters that are very very real then go ahead and read it but otherwise I, I, I give due caution because this book left me emotionally distraught by the end of it um, which forced me into reading Star Trek books which is not necessarily a problem for me I love Star Trek books but I needed to break away from anything serious 
And so at the moment, I'm just reading Star Trek book from Star Trek book. The, the Typhon Pack series is really fun. For anyone who cares about Star Trek, please email me. I want to talk to somebody, anyone, because there's no one out there. Um, but that's it from me. Um, Ryan, you have one last book on your reading list that you want to talk about. Um, I thought I wanted to talk about it, but given how long we've already been rambling about all these books we've been reading over the past month, I think I can move it until next week. The book is Vengeance by Ian Irvine, and I'm afraid that if we start talking about that, then I'm going to start getting really animated about the the whole authentic writing with authenticity versus uh, writing for accessibility. Um, Guess what we're talking about next week, people! <laughs> Yay! So yeah, um, I'm I'm reading that book at the moment. I'm about a hundred pages into it, and it's a hard read, but it's a good read. Um, save it till next time. I'll save it till next time. All right, and uh, I think that's it. I don't think we've got anything left to talk about, Josh. Do I think you... that's it. I think that's it. I think w- this is the longest episode so far. This is, I think, yeah, by far the longest episode. We try to keep them under an hour, and well, we try to keep them just <laughs> over an hour, actually. <laughs> yeah. So um, remember, you can find us at fancybookreview.co.uk, where you'll find hundreds of reviews to help choose your next fancy read. You can also find out the latest news from in and around the world of fantasy books at our blog, fbrblog.com. We're also getting ready to restart our Goodreads book club, and at the moment I'm looking for suggestions for a good book for October, so jump onto fbrblog.com and uh, click on the link to get to our Goodreads book club. You can find us on all of the social network sites. Twitter, well, okay, fine, just two of them. Fanboo Rev and FBR Blog on Twitter. Facebook.com forward slash Fantasy Book Review. And Ryan and I are also on Twitter. I'm at Josh S. Hill. And Ryan is at Ryan L. 1986. And uh, don't forget, you can email us uh, if you got any comments about all the crap we've been talking about for the last hour and 20 minutes. Um... If you just want to suggest a new topic, if you just want to say hi, um, send us an email where we've got one at blog, B-L-O-G, at fantasybookreview.co.uk. Seriously, I dare you to write in and try and convince me why Terry Brooks is as good as Brandon Sanderson. I dare you. We'd also like reviews on iTunes. If you'd like to leave us a review on iTunes, we would be very much appreciated because it helps people find us. And you want people to find us, don't you? Yes. The awesome song in the back... You don't count. Of course you do. We're we're biased. The awesome song behind us right now, I think, is... No, I know that it is. I just don't know if it's behind us right now. The song is Stealing Horses by Carl Burr, and you can find out all about him in our show notes. That's the end of the sixth episode of the FBR cast. The longest. It's probably because we were away for so long, but we're back... We're better than ever. I hope you enjoyed it. Brian, do you have something to say? I, I do. We uh, we already have the next two shows pre-recorded. Um, I interviewed Stacey Turner, the CEO of Angelic Night Press. Um, that's a nice hour-long interview, and 
I also interviewed Will Elliott, who is the author of one of the a, a book that won a whole bunch of awards in Australia, the Pilo Family Circus, and his and the latest book that's just come out, which I gave a 9.9 on Best Book Review, which is Nightfall. Um, not yet available overseas, but you can always request a uh, copy from harpercollins.com.au. Now, I haven't had a chance to hear either of these interviews, but I was around when he finished interviewing Will Elliott, and you have never met a more bubbly person than Ryan after he'd interviewed Will Elliott. That is bound to be an awesome episode. We'll be back at some point in the next two weeks to talk about uh, some of the issues that we've skipped over today. Thank you very much for joining us. We'll see you in the next time. Bye. Now you're stealing horses Anything just to survive